Court, we invite you to come. This is a tough subject that he's covering, but you are a tough guy. And you have got this spirit. And I know you have surrounded him with your spirit that everything that comes out of him, everything you've poured into him, will we'll, we'll sink, Lord. And we'll hear from heaven today in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. How's this volume? I'm excited to be here today. You might not be as excited by the end of this. Uh, I've got a lot of hard things to say today. They're good things, though. My life can vouch for all of these things. Uh, I'm just going to jump right in. I've got a lot going on here. Quite a journey to go on. There's so many scriptures, so many things that intertwine and interconnect. I'm trying to find the best way to present this. What's the most logical flow? It's very difficult, but... I hope it is clear, and I hope you can follow me. We're closing in on the end of our series on the Lord's Prayer, and so let's start there in Matthew 6. We'll read it again. If there's any prayer or scripture worth repeating, this is probably one that's worth repeating. In verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm going to focus in on that last part today. First off, temptation. The general definition, if you look it up, is to entice or allure to do something regarded as unwise or immoral. I suppose you could be tempted to do something neutral, like tempted to make some chicken tonight. I guess you could do something like that, but that's not really what we mean when we say temptation. Before we get into the meat of what I'd like to focus on today, there's just a few truths I'd like to bring up about temptation. Truths that are good to know, good to remind ourselves of. The first one, temptation is not sin. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean that that's wrong in itself. Hebrews 4, verse 15, love this verse. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. <laughs> We're not going to look at it, but Philippians 2 tells us that when Jesus came, he set aside his divinity to live life as a man, to live life just as a human, the way that we live life. And that means that for the first time, because God can't be tempted with evil, but for the first time in all of eternity, God himself felt temptation as he lived as a human. And to feel the pull of what that's like. He didn't cave to it, but he felt what it's like under those pressures. The pressures all of us face. We're all there at one point or another. And to me, that's just such an astounding reality. That we have an advocate who knows what we go through. He knows what it's like. He's not sitting up there looking down like, there they go again. He knows, and he's not there with condemnation. He's there with grace to empower you to overcome the things that he overcame. That's worth remembering. And that leads into the next truth. Temptation does not define who you are. It could also be said you are not your temptations. 
just because you feel like doing something doesn't mean that that's your identity. This is huge because in today's culture, they hold to the exact opposite, especially with sexuality. Well, I'm attracted to that person. It feels right to be with them, so it must be right, right? a slippery slope to position yourself like that to say and extend it beyond sexuality anything that attracts you anything that you want to do anything that feels good it's got to be good right and when your moral compass is based on your feelings how much stability will you have when it blows you one way or the other way this way or that way dangerous way to live but let's look at Genesis 3 context, God tells Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they can eat from any tree, any tree they want, except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the devil comes to Eve as the serpent, and he questions her about this, presses her, and this is her response, starting in verse 2. And the woman said to the servant, to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve had no sin nature. She was exactly as God intended her to be. And yet, the devil planted something in her mind, and she believed it. After you've done something less than savory, and even if you've been tempted to do something, it's easy to feel shame. That's what Jen talked about, yeah? You feel shame, and the instinct is to pull away. But if you're tempted to do something wrong, that might reflect something going on in your heart, sure. But that doesn't inherently determine what's at your core, who you are. That's good and worth remembering. Which leads to the next truth. Temptation is not about an opportunity. It's about your heart. This is fairly self-evident when you break it down. What tempts us, it varies person to person. Alcohol is a huge struggle for many people. For me, it can't tempt me. I don't like alcohol. I don't like the taste. I don't like the purpose. just don't like it. No desire for it. And that's the key word, I think. Desire. Let's see what James said in what might be the most quintessential verse on temptation. James 1, starting in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. There's a reason why we're tempted the way we are. Maybe the enemy put a thought in your head, put a suggestion. Or maybe there's something deeper going on within you. That's worth knowing. We're going to come back to that. 
with these basic truths about temptation out of the way, there are just a few things I want to put forward today. Four points, actions, habits, that we can implement to help us overcome the temptations and trials that we're all going to face today, tomorrow, sometime. And <laughs> this isn't a simple topic by any stretch. There was pages of pages of things that I cut from this because I just don't got that much time. But these are things that can make an impact in your life. They've changed my life. And I would challenge you today to take note of anything that stands out and pray on it and say, is this relevant to me? So point number one, pray accordingly. Do you pray this? Don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Jesus meant this as a daily prayer, something that you would pray every day, not necessarily word for word, but the heart of it, something that you can pray every day. Deliver me from evil. Don't lead me into those, those places. And I can be honest, there's plenty of times where that just doesn't cross my mind to pray like that, and it really is important. Traditionally, most people recognize this phrase, deliver us from evil, but a more accurate translation is deliver us from the evil one. That makes a difference. Because evil is generic, but the evil one is specific. We have an enemy out there in the spirit realm, whatever that looks like. And he's actively seeking to ruin you. I'm not a demon under every rock type of guy. I don't think there's always something demonic following you around or anything like that. Certainly isn't fruitful to dwell on this stuff too much, but to ignore it and to not be aware of it, that's dangerous. Ignorance is not bliss here. <laughs> if you've been following in this little booklet here, in the grow groups or on your own time, this is what we've been modeling this series after, is this uh, little resource from Vineyard. For this week, it focuses on that aspect of being delivered from evil. And it says this, here we affirm that we are empowered to resist the forces of evil that will definitely and assuredly assail us today. And it continues, we face a personal evil in this world, the accuser of our souls, who will be intentional about targeting the weakest areas of our character. Hmm. That's a pretty good reason to pray, Father, deliver me from the evil one. Although our victory is secure in Christ, we don't face a weak foe. And if you believe a lie that he tells you, you're not so secure anymore. Pray accordingly, friends. Point number two, be watchful. We're going to take a look at Mark 14. Jesus gives some powerful instruction here. and I don't think it's quite as explicit as other things, but it's definitely implicit. Mark 14, starting in verse 32. Then they came to the place, which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, 
topic, if you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I would put forth to you that praying in a time of crisis is one of the most basic human responses. When your back's against the wall, the some form of the phrase, God, if you're up there, has been echoed through all eternity. Right? Believer, non-believer. In fact, you have to condition yourself to not have that response. And even then, like they say in the military, there are no atheists in the foxhole. So praying in the midst of a trial, common. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew what was coming, sweat blood over it. But the disciples didn't. They went to sleep. They didn't know what was coming or what was happening. And so Jesus says, you need to watch and pray before the trial gets here. How many of you like pop quizzes? Yeah. When you know a test is coming, difficulty of the test aside, it's relatively simple to prepare for it. But when a test comes out of nowhere and it catches you off guard, that's a hard thing. That really shows what's going on inside of you. Being caught unprepared is not fun. Another verse we'll look at is Colossians 4, verse 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Thankfulness is a message all its own. Being in prayer is vital, but being watchful of your circumstances, that's vital too. I can recall multiple times in my life with both men and women where I was going to hang out with them, nothing inappropriate at its face, but as I thought about going to do it, something just stood out to me like, maybe I shouldn't. And I prayed on it and said, Lord, should I go and do that? And he said, nah, don't. <laughs> One of those times I saw the aftermath, like dodged a bullet there. Do you know what God was doing for me in those moments? He was leading me away from temptation. Because it's not good to just stand in the way of temptation to see how strong you are. <laughs> That's not a good, not a good. Another verse. 1 Peter 5, 8. Yes. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's important. It's important to not go through life on autopilot, just unaware of what's going on around you, especially as a believer, because it's not just irresponsible, it's dangerous, because there's a predator looking for prey. Another verse in line with this going to look at is in Genesis 4, we're looking at Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's uh, first two children. And they both offer a sacrifice to God in worship. And God accepts Abel's worship, but he doesn't accept Cain's worship. And Cain is angry, very angry, angry with his brother, which is so like us, right? I mess up, it's somehow your fault. So the Lord comes to Cain here in verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, 
Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Some, tempt- some translations say you must master it. It's very interesting. This is one of the few times that God infers a personhood to sin, that it's lurking at the door. I don't really know how you process that or what you do with that, but here's one thing I know. If you can't afford to be careless in your daily walk, (laughs) I'm not saying we need to walk on eggshells, but we need to be aware of what's going on around us. Pray often. Be watchful. Point number three, understand your desires. I got to ask the question, do you really know what you desire? It sounds so simple, yet it can be so much deeper than you'd expect. I'm going to get real for a bit and talk about some of my own life. You know, I'm fairly transparent. If you ask me something, I can talk about pretty much anything, one-on-one. Standing up in front of a crowd, getting ready to divulge things about your life, it seems a little more intimidating. (laughs) But, yeah. I'm still going to do it, though. It's relevant. It's precisely relevant. For a season of my life, for a number of years, I was in love with a woman. But she didn't know Jesus. She had no desire to know Jesus. And so that settled the matter. Dating in the hopes that she might find my God somewhere along the way. Unwise from everything I've seen. And you can bet that I wrestled with that point for a long time, trying to wiggle my way somewhere around there. But God was very consistent in what he said to me. Not not compromise yourself. Compromise. A necessity for negotiation. A slow death for your character. Anyways, we were very close, her and I, so I wasn't forthright with my feelings because I didn't want to make things strange between us. On account of this, I didn't really know exactly how she felt towards me. Maybe she wouldn't even wanted to date me. I didn't know. I didn't need to know. The person you love doesn't have any interest in you. That stings, but it makes your decisions much simpler, right? Until one day, we were talking, and she not so subtly implies that we would be together if I were willing to have sex with her. With that knowledge, the matter didn't seem quite as settled as I thought it was before. I mean, I loved her. Would have married her like that. What harm could a little compromise bring? That very night, I had the most demonic encounter of my life. As I was driving home, pondering all these things, the atmosphere shifted in the car. Now, I'm decent at discerning things in people, not atmospheres. If you don't recognize that term atmosphere, basically we're just talking about what's happening in the spirit around us in this room. What's the atmosphere in here? You know, Pastor Dick comes up here on any given Sunday, and he's like, the Holy Spirit's moving. Oh, I f- do you feel it? I'm like, I feel a draft. Like, that's, <laughs> that's all I've got. 
You can tell him. Yeah, so I'm not so good at that, but <laughs> but this was this was undeniable. And then it felt like what I can only describe as tar began dripping over my head down my entire body. And something spoke very clearly to me and said, You could have what you desire if it weren't for him for God, if it weren't for the way that he wanted things done, I'd be with the woman I love. <laughs> you know, you'd think if the devil gives you an offer, it might be a trap. <laughs> kind of makes sense, right? But in that moment, the pressure, physical, emotional, spiritual, it was unbelievable. And given that intensity, I don't quite remember exactly what I said. But what I said out loud was akin to what I desire most, only he can give me. As I said that, it was like a blast of wind hit my chest and all the slimy gunk flew off. And even though it was night, it felt like the cliche like beam of light coming down on me. Like, I'm well pleased. Like, oh, this is good. And... Uh, in that moment, with a cocky edge, <laughs> yeah, oh boy, I laughed and I said, "Is that the best they've got, Lord?" The Lord said, "No, no, there would be more." But that's another story, and I digress. I loved this woman. There was nothing on earth I desired over her. But what I desired most isn't on this earth. What you desire most matters. It's tricky when you have conflicting desires. Which one wins out? Diet is a great place where we can see this on display. Everyone has to eat. Everyone likes food. Almost everyone likes food. <laughs> now, I've never had weight issues myself, but I have had health issues. And I've had my fair share of struggling when it comes to my relationship to food. I had an authority figure over me once say, well, if you wanted to be healthier, you'd change. But you haven't changed, so you must not really want it. <laughs> Some use of authority. I get the impulse to believe that life is so black and white like that, but I really don't believe it is. If you've been on a specific diet trying to eat a certain way and you fall off that wagon, it's not that you didn't want to be healthier. You just wanted something else more. The pleasures of food, the comfort and fulfillment even that it brings you, the instant gratification it can provide to an otherwise crummy day. For many, that trumps the desire to be healthy. Now, in case you're thinking, Josiah, this conflicting desires thing, is this scriptural or is this just philosophizing? Is this just my ideas? Which is a fair question because I like hearing people's ideas, but I like hearing God's ideas first. And so we'll answer that in Mark 4, 
for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of it, even though I wanted to. I'm only going to grab the relevant verses. The context here is Jesus is speaking about the parable of the sower sowing seeds. The sower sows seeds on different ground, and a different thing happens depending on the ground. In Mark 4, 7, this specific one we're looking at, he says, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Then we skip down a ways. He, des uh, he describes the parable. He says the, s the seed is the word, the word of God. And the soil is the different people that it falls on, the conditions of them, their hearts. And here's what he says about the seed that fell among thorns. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You know, in order for thorns to choke out a plant, the plant has to have grown. This isn't just someone who hears the word and is like, no, it's bogus. It landed. It started to grow. Something's there. We all know people like this, and we've probably all been people like this at one point or another, who want to be connected to the church, who want to serve God, who want to do things, who want to be a good father, who want to be a good wife, good worker, a successful person. And I think more often than not, they're not just spitting hot air. Those are genuine things that people want. We want those things. But the desire for other things, it chokes out those good desires. Knowing your desires, it's been key in my life. And disclaimer, depending on your worldview, if you view yourself as a wretched sinner, then you can probably justify your bad desires. It's just who you are, right? And I understand that. I used to believe like that. And I can say, if you believe that, you will never overcome those sins because you've claimed them as who you are. I don't subscribe to that worldview anymore. I think scripture is pretty clear. We are new creations. The old me is dead, not dying, dead. And as we've seen, even a new creation like Eve can be tempted and desire something wrong. When you understand the why behind this internal desire, you can address it. If I fall away from the food plan I wanted to stick to because of my drive to comfort myself with food, what does that reveal? And <laughs> I'm speaking from experience. It showed me that I wasn't being comforted by God. I was seeking comfort in other things like food. Does that sound like a problem? <laughs> it is. Psalms 139. Love this verse. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When you discover an offensive way in yourself, it's hard. Oh, yeah, I'm not as great as I thought I was. <laughs> but every time I've had one of those bitter realizations, life has grown out of it. I've become more Christ-like 
after realizing this desire is not lined up with his desire. And the wonderful thing is, I don't have to rely on my own strength to try and improve myself. The Spirit of God is the one who reveals these things to me, and he does the work in me. He'll finish the work in me, and he'll finish the work in you. Pray, be watchful, understand your desires. And point number four, know the word of God. It's awesome to see so many of us join into this group thing of doing the, the Bible in a year app. Because knowing what God says and thinks as recorded in scripture, it gives you a tool that you can draw on when you need it. If you've done anything with your hands and you don't have the right tool, it's tough. When you can't use what you don't know, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Just a brief aside, the beginning of this verse is so valuable because there's nothing that we face that isn't common to humanity. Whatever it is you struggle with, whether when I say temptation or sin, the thing that pops into your mind, it's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. And yeah, we do live in an era unlike any before us, but it's all the same temptations. Different clothes, same underneath. You're not weird. You're not strange. You're not broken. You're not an oddity because of the things that you struggle with. I just think that's a valuable takeaway. Now, the main part of this verse is that there's always a way of escape in every trial we find ourselves in, whether it's as simple as I'm hungry and there's junk in front of me or as complex as something demonic is attacking me. There's always a way out. And sometimes the way out is through scripture. We'll examine that in this last passage for this morning in the life of Jesus. What we're looking at is in Matthew 4. Jesus has just been baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him. The Father affirms him. Good day. And then this, in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Have you ever had a hard, trying day, and then you reacted differently than you would have if it was a good day? I think we all know what that feels like when you're tired, when you're agitated, when you're hungry. You are more susceptible than you normally would be. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. 40 days. He's, yeah, not, oh, I haven't eaten since breakfast. He's pushing the human limits here, so his need for food is real. He knows what it's like to feel that pressure. And he says, no excuse. No excuses. The Father sent me here to fast, and I'll break that fast when he says so, not when anyone else does. Verse 4. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Have you ever had someone attack your character? Implied you were a scumbag? Challenged who you are? Being slandered isn't fun. We want to defend ourselves. We want to speak up. Human pride is very stubborn. I like Matthew Henry's commentary here that, quote, Satan tempted Christ to presume upon his father's power and protection. You know, if anyone has a right to speak highly of himself, it's Jesus. If anyone has a right to demand something from the father, it was Jesus. But he didn't need to. Because Jesus is humble. He doesn't need to defend himself. Because he knows who he is. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Have you ever had a gut-wrenching choice or situation you had to deal with and you just wanted to avoid it? Something work-related, I've got to confront that person, I've got to talk to this person, oh, I wish I could just get out of it. God provides a way out, but so does the devil. God provides a way out of temptation. The devil will provide a way out of responsibility. The path that God wants you to take, it's so hard. Why don't you just take an easier route? You know, this is in part why Jesus came, to reclaim this world from the devil, the God of this world, as Scripture calls him. And Satan says, I'll give it to you freely. You won't even have to go to the cross. Verse 10, and Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus could have responded, I don't know, in a lot of ways. But each time he was tempted, he responded with the written word of God. You know, the devil knows scripture very well, I might add. And if I don't know scripture, how can I counter what he says to me? Especially when he flavors it with verses that appear, that appeal to my sensibilities. You grow in your relationship with God in many ways, but the written word is crucial in that relational growth. Who knows, it could just save you from a bad decision. In closing here, at the beginning of this series, when I found out I'd be preaching on this, I was driving from here to work, and I said, well, you know, Lord, that's a long ways off, but anything you want to say about that? And <laughs> such a download. He slammed me with so many things, and he gave me a prayer to pray. He said, pray like this. Father, don't lead me into temptation. Prepare me for when it comes. Because it's coming, one way or another. Praying accordingly, being watchful over your life, your opportunities, understanding your inner self and where your desires come from, learning the word of God. These aren't guarantees for anything. No one's immune. If we step out a step with Christ, who knows what could happen. But these are actions and habits that can significantly ready us for the challenges that are coming. Jesus was prepared 
when the devil came knocking. Will you be? Pray with me today. Father, I just thank you so much for all you've done for us. I can't speak for everybody here, but it's probably a safe bet to say we are so grateful for all that you protect us from, all you deliver us from. Even when we don't ask and we forget to ask, you still are there protecting us. You have a way out of all the things that the enemy would try and do for us. Lord, we are your children. We should be childlike, but I know you don't want us to be childish. We need to grow in maturity. Lord, that's what I pray today, that we would grow in maturity, in those things in our life that we can see are lacking, those areas where I know you're not there, Lord. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Jesus, thank you that you understand everything we go through. We'll thank you from now till the end of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.